Hello and welcome to another episode of Tales from the Doghouse Separation Anxiety Explained. I am Ness Jones. I'm in Australia and I'm from Separation Anxiety in Dogs Decoders. And with me today I have... Hi, I'm Stacey Bell in the US with Focused Fun. Um, Today we are doing our first podcast without (laughs) Sarah and it is very sad, very sad. but she is getting her life together and moving on to a boat. So um, that will be exciting uh, when she rejoins us to hear all about um, that transition. But today we are talking about changing parameters in training, um, just switching things up, things that might make um, the process of helping your dog be home alone easier for them. So um, let's get started. Sometimes success in training can be actually more simple than what we think. For example, I have had two clients where the dog has been left outside and has actually has built a fair history of being left outside by itself and the owners have left home. But aside from that, goes into complete panic, complete and utter panic. Um, and... I've even done the assessment with the dog inside to see if it makes a difference to having it inside as and also one outside and it's chalk and cheese. Um, yeah, so um, just those two particular dogs are good examples of by moving the training inside, uh, moving the dog inside when the owners aren't home um, has enabled them both to really cope and they, the coping, you know, they just are completely different dogs. So one of them's a past client, um, shout out to Kevin. That's the dog's name. (laughs) Um, yeah. And I mean, it was really, really evident when he was outside and we did the assessment as soon as the owners just stood up and took one step towards their exit door, he was just full panicked. I didn't wow. even do the assessment with the other dog with it outside. I just said, look, can we please just start inside and see how it goes? And um, her name is Lo- um, Jane. Sorry, shout out to Jane. Um, <laughs> and actually, did you just notice I just said two human names for two dogs? Yes, yes. <laughs> Jane and Kevin. And they're both staffies too. Mm-hmm. How about that? Um, just a little aside note. Um yeah, and um, so we've just been working with Jane inside and her training is going phenomenal. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. better than you could hope for. She's just doing amazing. So um, we are still going through a program together, but she's she right. hasn't put a foot wrong. So mm-hmm. big, major difference. So they're really good examples of, of um, just changing things up and how it can just change the dog's mindset. Have you got any clients like that. Yeah, that I mean, I think um, I think just backing up a little bit and giving an umbrella category of like, where are you going to leave the dog, right? And so in your case, one subcategory, because I like things yeah, organized, yeah. <laughs> um, one subcategory would be inside outside, but it could also be um, in a crate, out of a crate. It could be um, in a confined space, whether that's a kitchen or the living room or a bedroom or whatever or free roam, it could be, um, gates could be involved or that sort of thing. 
So I think that's a big category. And I have had dogs um, that have started in the crate or, or were working in the crate with their um, pet parents before we started together. And I was just like, can we please just try them out <laughs> in the crate? Like, just, let's just do the assessment both ways. And if there's one way that's much easier for your dog, let's go with that. Um, and 99.9999% of the time out of the crate is a lot easier. There's always going to be that one dog that for some reason inside the crate is easier. But um, like we've talked about before, usually more space and more freedom to make that choice of where am I going to rest um, is better for um I don't want to make a value judgment. It makes being home alone easier for the dog. Um, so we always recommend let's, let's at least try that, you know, and, um, for some dogs, especially crates, they have like, like you were saying with the outside with, um, Kevin and Jane, um, they had a <laughs> lot of fear history associated with being outside when their parents left. So if your dog has like, just like really negative experiences in their crate and a lot of fear associated with that, it's, you know, just another hurdle, right? So it's not only that they're confined and that does sometimes make it more difficult for dogs, but it's like the emotions attached to that crate that you have to overcome. And then you can start training, um, mm. With, with moving away and getting outside the door. So it does add a whole nother step to training. Yeah, we have a, we have a whole episode, um, not on YouTube, but it will be um, on our podcast. Um, mm -hmm. So anybody that wants to listen to that, it's focused entirely on crates. So yeah. what, what our feeling is in regards to crate, how to employ them, when to employ them, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, I am actually have um, people in my Facebook group that have crated their dogs and um, I've said, hey, why don't you try leaving them out? And they've said it's just made such a huge difference. Mm -hmm. um, my Facebook group is Separation Anxiety and Dogs Decoded. If anybody would <laughs> like to join me, you will be most yeah. welcome. Yeah. Um, Yes, but um, I think what the thing with crates in particular is, you know, owners get caught up in that. Well, I can't let the dog out of the crate because they're going to destroy the house. Mm -hmm. And it's a very real concern. But of course, when we're doing this training and we have talked about this before, um, mm -hmm. you know, we're watching them on a live camera feed. We're always setting them up for success. We're never letting them go over threshold to the point of panic where they are going to destroy your belongings. Right. So therefore that's not going to happen. So you can kind of knock that fear on the head for one of a better way mm -hmm. of saying it. Right. Right. Um, another one is just, um, Oh, one time when, you know, I, I know I just said our rule of thumb is more space, <laughs> more choice, better. They, <laughs> they will probably do. Um, one time there's probably other exceptions. What, but one of the big exceptions that I can think of to that rule is um, when the dog is noise phobic. And if there is a room or area of the house that is quieter, um, that can be helpful in training because a, a dog that is reacting to environmental noise or visual cues can, that can really affect home alone training. Um, and, you know, we have strategies for that and 
an episode, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but if we can change the parameters of our setup to just make it easier and kind of avoid that whole thing, then that can be really helpful too. So um, that is kind of my exception to the rule is if I know the dog is, is really sensitive to environmental um, sounds and, and visual mm. things, then I, I'll be like, okay, let's just try and see. Um, yeah. And sometimes it's great. And sometimes it's like, you know what, it doesn't balance out. So then we don't do that. Yeah. And they don't have to be noise phobic. It's, it's, as you see, it's mm -mm. sensitive, or it could be, as you say, it could be something visual. So if you're on a busy street, how mm -hmm. can we change that up? So I've actually in the past advised clients to, um, not necessarily do it inside the house, but try to do some sort of trellising or hedging or some plants mm. or something to block that view of whatever's happening on the street. Mm -hmm. um, or you could put um, film on the window. Mm -hmm. um, if making if if moving the dog away from the area doesn't help the training, then we have to think of other other ways of um, right. expediting the process. Um, another one that we um, can often help is because we often talk about fear history and you know this particular thing is associated with the dog being home alone the dog being scary scared sometimes that could be your front door um, mm -hmm. so in that case we might if it's possible and of course in apartments it's not um, not unless you want to climb over your balcony and <laughs> a piece of <laughs> tie some um, sheets together or something um, but yeah um, but in you know in other scenarios we other homes um, sometimes there's possibility of exiting via another door and because there's no fear history associated with that door the dog might simply be able to cope better they might still have issues but they might actually go through mm -hmm. the training process a lot quicker. Yeah, that's what um, we ended up doing with Spud, who was on the show um, some months back. <laughs> <laughs> we ended up switching doors and, and using a different door than they had been. So it, yeah, it can make a big difference and sometimes it can't. I had um, a recent client and well, she's been a client for a while, but recently we tried... Um, switching up the door just because we were kind of, um, in a regression. And so we're like, you know, let's, <clears throat> when we start over at a time that that works for her, let's try the front door to see if, if she can move more quickly. And, and she did, <laughs> she didn't. So sometimes you think something might help with training and it doesn't. And it's all about really tracking what you're doing and um, letting the dog lead the way, right? Because there's no reason just because you have this idea that the dog's going to be like, yeah, that works for me or that doesn't work for me. So we just have to collect data. And um, I always just try to go with what's easiest for the dog. Yeah. I, like you say, it's a case of trial and error, isn't it? Mm -hmm. yeah. It really is. Mm. And so I, and I also will want to try things more than once. Like, so if we try the door, like with Bria, we tried the door and it wasn't like it was terrible, but it just wasn't as easy for her as the side door is. So, so we're like, okay, let's just give it one more shot. Maybe it was an off day or maybe, yeah. you know, you don't know. Right. Um, and so we try it again and, you know, we did a few sessions with it that way. And, and we just were like, you know what, this is not worth spending time on. Let's go back to the other door. And, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah. So. Um, something we mm -hmm. have touched on in the past, but I, I think it's kind of relevant um, is 
you know, for dogs, for people that get a pet sitter to come to the home and while they mm-hmm. leave, or it doesn't have to be a official pet sitter, but it could be a family or friends member, and the dog struggles because they're watching their significant person walk out the door and leave them. Um, just to change the parameters on that, I think it's often mm-hmm. easier for the dog, for that person that's looking after them to take them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, take them out for a, a short walk, walk up the road, 10 minutes, what have you. And then that significant person that the dogs may be hyper-attached to um, can can leave while they're out and it's not mm-hmm. such a big deal for the dog watching them leave. So that's just a simple, simple yeah. tip that can often just swing the balance in your favour. Yeah, it's so true for, I don't know if I've worked with somebody where their dog was the exception to this rule that you're saying is like, I think it's always, I'm not going to say always, but frequently easier for the dog if they're the one doing the leaving. Right. So if the person watching them takes them for a walk or takes them into the backyard and, you know, plays some games with them or, you know, whatever it is, whatever works for um, the dog in question. But I think it's, you know, being, staying put and watching their um, pet parent leave is hard for a lot of dogs. One other one that I wanted to mention was um, baby gates or gates or, you know, at X pens or anything blocking away. Um, Even if it's, you know, I know with like X pens and crates, you're frequently creating an enclosure for the dog or even baby gates, um, maybe blocking a room. And that can really make, make it more difficult for some dogs. So, and, and I know for some scenarios, if you have a puppy and they're not quite potty trained and they're not, you know, fully, um, through the stage of biting or eating everything they see, you know, we might need to get creative there, but baby gates frequently, um, can make things more tricky for a lot of dogs. So that is another thing to consider. Can we take this away? What would that look like? Can we do something else? Like some people use baby gates for dogs that try to run out the door. So they'll put a baby gate up. And so sometimes we can do some mat training with them, or we can work on specifically them not darting out the door, like as a, you know, just training separately, if that's something that they always do, or we can look and say, are they darting out the door because we're pushing too hard and getting out the door. And so we, you know, take a few steps back. Um, but those are all things that we would kind of assess if we thought the gate was making um, it harder for the dog. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, mat training is a good one for that sort of thing. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Or, I yeah. mean, really, if, and if that's sort of, if the dog is borderline whether they're going to stay on the mat and you don't want to include the baby gate inside the door, you could actually put a gate on the outside sort of thing. So, right. or, a, you know, a, some sort of pen on the outside. So, if mm-hmm. the dog does dart out, they're not going to go anywhere. Right. Right. Um, other setup things that we've, talked about are just um there might be sound masking things or Mm. stuff like that again if your dog is um sensitive to noises that might help them um some dogs that are very routine oriented it can help to kind of have a routine before you start training so maybe um you go for a walk you do um like 
a scent trail or a snuffle mat or something, and then um, chill out for a little while and then start, you know, your exercise with the dog, um, the home alone exercise with the dog. And so some dogs that kind of routine um, helps them set expectations um, and, and helps them kind of prepare. So I've done that with with a couple dogs, not as a general rule, but just a couple dogs, that kind of thing made it a little easier for them. So that would be another kind of setup or changing the setup parameters a little bit to help make it easier for the dog. Mm. And, you know, that kind of opens up the whole discussion of, you know, when you train your dog to be, when you're working on helping your dog be home alone, you know, we do want to work initially in that easiest scenario for them. Yeah. Um, so whatever that is for your dog. So one of the things that we talk about a lot for puppies, but I kind of apply it to, to all of my clients, honestly, is making sure your dog is safe. So the acronym is, um, sleepy, the S is for sleepy, but more like restful, right? Like, so they don't need to be like falling asleep, but in a restful, calm, sleepy-ish state. Um, The A stands for all played out. So they're thinking of, um, they've had some exercise and enrichment. We're going to put a pin in that and get back to it because um, Megan, Bria's mom had a question about that, that she wanted us to address on the podcast. Um, S is full. So they're not expecting a meal shortly or anything like that. I can really, yeah. If they're hungry, (laughs) if it's their dinner time. (laughs) Yeah. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah. What's happening? Or even like an expectation for going for a walk or something like that. And so, you know, we we do have to kind of be mindful of that. So, um, and then the E in safe is empty. So they've gone potty, right? So they're not, you know, doing the little potty dance, like they have to go potty. And, and this can be especially helpful for puppies and young dogs that maybe are not fully potty trained, or you're still working through some stuff. If you know, you just took them to the bathroom, you know, and they've had a chance to relieve themselves, then you're not worried. Mm, are they coming to the door? Cause they have yeah. to go to the bathroom or are they coming into the door because, you know, they're just checking it out or, you know, it kind of takes away some of the pressure from you even. So, um, that's, I think a good rule of thumb, setting them up for success is training at a time. And, and, you know, we've talked about this before, like some dogs have a certain time of day that they, um, they might find mornings easier or harder in the reverse in the evenings. Um, and so we just want to, at least, um, in the beginning train in a way at a time when it's easiest for them. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. I think the, um, the, the potty one and the food one I've had examples of that with clients where where they've done the training right on dinner time and the dog's mm-hmm. like just completely going have got, has gone from previous sessions well well aced it you know brilliant 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 right and then they've done it at dinner time they're like no nah, this this isn't yeah. right no this is not doing this and I've had another yeah, one I've uh, oh, gone no, I was just going to say for, for, for me, it's been almost worse with walk time, like for people who have like a set walk time and then their person gets up and goes to the door at the set walk time without and they them. Have every expectation that they're going with. Right. And so that can make it really difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've had another client whose dog 
was unsettled and yeah, it it was as soon as they'd finished the training, it was like, you've got to let me out. It had a, has a little bit, Brody, his name is, shout out to Brody, mm-hmm. um, a bell to ring when he wants to go out. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yes, he was desperate, so mm-hmm. <laughs> that really yeah. destabilised his training. Yeah, yeah, I can, can imagine. <clears throat> um, so the thing that I put a pin in is, yes. um, you know, for some dogs, we have to work quite hard <clears throat> to find that sweet spot of training, right? Like mm. <clears throat> they've had enough exercise, they've done their enrichment, they're, you know, restful enough and, and like to, but, but not sleeping, you know, like, and they're not. And so, especially I think for young dogs, this can be tricky, Yeah, but also, um, you know, it just depends on the dog active dogs in general. It can be a little bit tougher too, but Bria's mom, Megan was asking like, how long do I have to make sure that I check all of these boxes <laughs> before we can, you know, does it get easier for her to, as it gets easier for her to be alone, can we relax some of this stuff? Um, and the answer, or at least part of it, and then you can contribute as well, I think is, I don't necessarily think for most dogs that we have to make sure we do exercise enrichment, a settling activity, and then, you know, all of these steps to work up to a um, absence forever. But I do think that overall, your dog needs to be getting exercise and enrichment. Um, So it doesn't necessarily happen, need to happen before you um, leave, but that your dog's life um, has to be full in that way. Right. So I do think it's something that as pet parents, we have to pay attention to in providing for our pets. But, but also I do think that as your dog becomes more skilled at being home alone, we can relax that it has to happen in a certain order or it has to happen before you leave. And that might be, for Bria, it might be a more challenging scenario for her. And so we might have to drop duration a little bit and say, you know, when she hasn't had a walk or she hasn't um, had some enrichment, it's going to be harder for her to be alone. So we're going to, you know, have that kind of on a different track and, and reduce duration a little bit and then proceed at a different rate. And usually over time, those, those scenarios will kind of merge together anyways. But, um, that's just kind of, you know, when you're looking down the um, path of independence, um, that is just something to kind of consider. Sorry, I'm just looking at my dog. She's a bit of a Rudy. <laughs> <laughs> he does it to me in my Zoom sessions with my clients all the time. Um, yes, uh, I think always remembering that we need to set the dog up for success but we're looking for consistency so um ideally you want your dog to have a fulfilled life anyway so you want to keep make sure that their life has adequate exercise and enrichment regardless but so but yes i think as they've had more and more safe absences and you've got more and more consistency at let's Mm -hmm. say i don't know pull a figure out of your head let's say half an hour then um 
then you can maybe get a little bit more relaxed. But when you're trying to build up more safe absences, build the foundations, build up the safe absences, Mm -hmm. they're key pillars of your training and they're really important. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I certainly wouldn't be rushing to remove them or be a little bit less um, focused on them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There is one thing, though, Stacey, I think um, sometimes I have clients that will, you know, they, they'll have their couple of days off. Let's say it's the weekend, they're not working. Um, the dog goes everywhere with them. They go to the beach, they go to the park, they go to social outings, you know, the coffee shop and blah, 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 blah. And when they go back to training and they're um, hoping to get that nice you know, the dog should be exhausted. And yet as soon as they start the training, the dog's like, whoa, hang on. You know, Mm -hmm. we've just spent two full-on fun-filled days and I am exhausted, but you can't walk out the door without me, even though we're training. Yeah, because it's almost like they've spent, I don't want to say too much time with their owners, but, yeah, it's Mm -hmm. like they've they've almost forgotten where they are kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I think Mm -hmm. in those scenarios we need to really drop the time back to a, a lesser even if you were on 15 minutes you might want to drop back for the first session thereafter after a day like that maybe even to one minute you know like depending mm-hmm. on what the dog can cope with but, yeah um yeah. but I just I have noticed a couple of times with dogs that have had that really full-on 24 7 mm-hmm. contact mm-hmm. with the owner without any training and it's been fun 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 but when they go back to the training the dog actually struggles yeah yeah I've also seen with some dogs um when you think oh when I get when they get home from daycare they're gonna be so tired and that's when I'm gonna do my training and it's like opposite you know like and some dogs are truly so tired and they're like perfect time to train you can leave me that's a good time to train for that dog but um for one of my clients that I have now it's like no don't even try because right. it's like a, a toddler who's missed their nap. You know, it's like, yeah, right. <laughs> so, um, it's not a good time for, for training. So I guess another point to make would be that a lot of this stuff can be dog dependent. So you, yeah. you just really have to, you know, test things out gently um, with your dog to see what works. Cause I, I did have another one who they would take them out and you know let them run in the forest and then play fetch with them and then like do all of these things trying to get them to that sleepy state but he would have trouble settling after so what we ended up doing was okay you can do those things because he has fun and you have fun and it's great for both of you but then after let's do like a scatter feed in the yard or something to help bring him like down from that and then wait an additional half an hour and then do training um, and that really worked well for them. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it's like any dog training. You have to look at the dog in front of you. Mm-hmm. There's, there's certainly mm-hmm. no blanket approach. Is there? You've got to look specifically at that dog and what's going right. to work for it. Yeah. So yeah. you know, there's general advice, and then there's that particular dog. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of. I think there's it's useful to have this conversation because then you you start maybe thinking of some of the parameters that you haven't thought of or haven't tested out with your dog 
Um, and remember when we're saying like, test it out with your dog, like we're talking about very gently. So we don't want to, you know, go and just leave or, you know, anything that's going to cause your dog to have, you know, an ex- <laughs> I got distracted by looking at your dog. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, anything that's going to cause your dog to feel like anxious, we're, we're obviously trying to circumvent that or, or to find other solutions. So we do want to be really careful when we're testing different things out. Thank you guys so much for joining us on um, this week's episode of Tales from the Doghouse. I am Stacy Bell, and um, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Focus Fun Dogs, and then my website is focusfun.net. And I'm Ness Jones. I am in Australia from Separation Anxiety in Dogs Decoders. This um, is our second episode for our YouTube channel. So please make sure you subscribe at Tales from the Doghouse um, on YouTube because we would love to have you there. And we do understand that podcasts aren't for everybody. So, you know, if you want to see us in our beautiful finery, (laughs) um, yeah, otherwise we'll be back in a couple of weeks. And uh, look forward to catching up for another episode. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you.